Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. I want to discuss this word this weekend, and it's the word contentment. Contentment. We're talking about thankfulness. We're talking about gratitude. Contentment is a word that's very, very similar. Contentment. This is how it's defined. Contentment is a state of satisfaction and of peaceful happiness. State of satisfaction and peaceful happiness. Who would like a little bit more of that in their lives? (laughs) If I have a, a word picture in my head, it's this. It's what I'll call a unicorn moment. It's one of those moments when, as a parent, something so rare happens where you're going about your day, and normally when the kids would be fighting or getting into something that they shouldn't, all of a sudden something is very strangely quiet. And you think, uh-oh, what happened? Did they hurt themselves? Are they still alive? Did Jesus come back and I got left behind? Like, what happened right now? And so you go and you investigate and you find them in their room, in the living room, just playing with toys, just happy. They're in that zone. The world has dissolved around them. They, they're just content. It's a unicorn moment because if you're a parent, you know It doesn't happen very often, but it's a picture of contentment, a state of being satisfied, of peaceful happiness. What happens between that space as a child when you can just be delighted, and then you grow up? (laughs) I've got teenagers, I know that they're seldom happy, but in truth, it's not just them, though, is it? It's us as adults. Many times, we're seldom happy as well. We want to be satisfied. We want to be satisfied in our job. We want to have contentment with our family. We want to have that internal sense of peacefulness when we look at our pace check and our pay stub or maybe in the mirror. That pursuit of happiness, that pursuit of contentment, it's probably one of the greatest driving forces that we have in our culture, in our hearts, in our lives. In fact, it's so baked in there that it's in the Declaration of Independence, an inalienable right, this God-given right to be able to pursue happiness. It's something we all want, and so it drives our decisions. It drives how we spend our money, how we spend our time. The kind of relationships that we engage in all come from our desire and our our pursuit of contentment and, and happiness, that internal state of satisfaction. We want it desperately, but just like that child who is rarely happy in their room, for us it can also be a unicorn. I wonder if that's why Mick Jagger would just say, though I try and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? And I can identify with that honestly. It's something I've struggled with in my life. Here's how I've encountered it. For me, I'm a very future-oriented person. Are you a future, are are you a past, a present, or a future-oriented person? Like, are you someone who is always thinking about what happened, or are you just always right there, and you forget about what's coming ahead of you? I'm a very future-oriented person, and what that means is I'm always looking for the next step. And that's always been true for me. Even when I was in high school, I was irritated by the people that I was in school with, and so I had a constant frame of mind, and that constant frame of mind was this. It'll be better when... It'll be better when I'm out of high school and I don't have to be around those jerks anymore. 
and then I was out of high school, and then it was like, well, it'll be better when I'm finally in the school program so I can study what I want to study and not these dumb gen ed classes, right? And then it was the next thing. The next thing was, it'll be better when I don't have to drive across town to see Jennifer every evening, but we can just be married. It'll be better when that's true about my life. And then it's like, it'll, it'll be better when we're not renting anymore and that we'll have more space for storage. And then it'll be better when we, we have our own washer and dryer so that we don't have to load up and go to the laundromat. It'll be better when. It'll be better when we have kids because when we have kids, here's what happens. Your mom starts taking you real seriously when now you're the gateway to the grandbabies. Mom will have to take me seriously now. It'll be better when we have kids and we can move on with our life. It'll be better when. It'll be better when I finally make this promotion, I finally land the job, I finally get this rank or this E rating or this GS rating, whatever it is, and then I'll be set for retirement for life. It'll be better when. And here's what I found in my life. It'll be better when, what it does is it, it washes away those precious moments in your life and you miss them. Because you're constantly saying, it'll be better when. I'm, I'm constantly looking for that next hit of accomplishment, that accumulation, and you fail to see what's right in front of you. And then what's worse is once you get there, you spend all your time looking back and reminiscing about what you miss, about what was in your rearview mirror. <laughs> it'll be better when. It'll be better when. You find yourself reminiscing what it was like to hang out freely with your high school friends, how wonderful that was, and how neat it was to have new friends at college when you were finally in your program, how great it was to find your first love for the first time, and as Jennifer and I were just thinking this week, what a bragging right it was to say we went to the laundromat with a pocket full of $10 worth of quarters Will my kids ever have to know that? <laughs> we look back and we reminisce. How many of you would like to be more content and more satisfied with your life? I know I would as well. Contentment is, is so very important because while you can be grateful, think about this for a moment, gratitude in many ways looks backwards. I can be grateful for what happened to me or didn't happen to me in the past, but contentment uniquely moves you forward. If you can be content, it means that you can be satisfied, that joy will be in front of you and that you won't miss the blessings that God has for you right here, right now, where you're at. Now, if you're not a, a Christian, you don't know about Jesus, this church thing is weird for you, I, I get that. I'm so glad you're here with us. I think there's something in this for you. But if you're a believer and you call Jesus your Lord, for us, it's not simply this power of positive thinking and we're gonna dig deep, <laughs> you know, and just have a certain thought process. For us, it's so much more than that. It's this bedrock truth that the God we serve loves us and he's over our circumstances and he is our source and because of his character, his power, and his authority, it allows us to press into difficult times with a unique ability, with a unique ability to, to persevere even when it's hard.
even when it's challenging. You know, nobody knew that more than the Apostle Paul. This guy went through some stuff. This guy was able to press on and never lose that sense of joy and never lose that sense of contentment. He was able and he found the secret to contentment in any situation. And so I want to welcome you and ask you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Open, turn it on, open it, whatever you want. There's free Bibles at the table at the back of the room. Philippians chapter 4, as you're turning there, it's in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn, that was for free. As you're turning there, here's the setup on where we kind of enter the story in Philippians chapter 4. Paul, a guy who persecuted Christians, finds Christ and ends up becoming a church planter, not dissimilar, and in a similar region where our friends are going to be going. He, uh, he, he starts this church in this town called Philippi, and he starts it because he goes in and he performs miracles, and when he's performing a miracle in this town, he finds this slave girl who is used to cast, like, a, to be a fortune teller, and he, the slave girl produced money for her master, and so Paul went in and, and healed her of demon oppression and possession, and because of that, they lost money, and it, it sent the whole town all upset because Paul did what he did, and he went and he was thrown in jail. But also a church sprung up from the middle of that. A diverse group of people came together. Paul's in jail, and this is what he says. He says, I know you've arrested me, but actually I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar, and that sent his life on a trajectory of finally sometime appearing before Caesar. And we don't have all of those connective dots about what happened after this, but we do know, and most scholars agree, that as we open the book of Philippians, he was in a place where he was awaiting judgment. He was awaiting his trial. He was in prison. Now, we don't know where he was in prison physically, but even more important than where he was physically, it's where he was emotionally and where he was spiritually. Philippians 4, verse 10, this is what he says. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. You Philippians, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content. He's saying this, I, I wasn't born this way. When I was born, I was screaming my head off, <laughs> right? This isn't natural to me. It took me a while. God had to say yes to some things in my life, and I had to figure out that, that, that the hard way, that what he's given me is good enough. It's enough for me, but as an old man, as I stand here in this prison, I've learned some things, and I've got the scars to show it. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So slow Wi-Fi, the ice cream machine at McDonald's being broken down, right? Uh, cats being everywhere, like, like shipwrecks. I mean, you name it, this guy went through it. Verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Whether you drive a Hyundai or a Tesla, you know, an, an Android or an iPhone, whether you're eating at Olive Garden or you're cracking open a package of ramen noodles, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in every, listen, listen, in any situation, 
and in every situation. He says this, he says, it's not, it's not my situation that regulates my satisfaction. He's saying, he's saying I, I have to learn this. I, I, I've had to go to the school of hard knocks. God had to teach me some things. I had to learn that this aching that was present in me, this whisper of that's not enough, this whisper of you're not satisfied, you don't, you don't, you don't have enough, that's there with me when my 401k has been fully funded that year. And that same whisper was with me when my pocket was full of quarters at the laundromat. I had to learn that, Paul said, and we, we see some truths already pop out. The first is this, is that, that contentment is not a situation. And yet most of us, we spend our time going from one situation to another, searching after, it will be better when, if my kids would just learn, but if they could just be potty trained, life would be, it does get better when they're potty trained to be, to be truthful, but life would just be better if we made some more money. And Paul says, mm, you're missing it because I've been there. Solomon would say the same thing. I've had it all and I know it doesn't satisfy. It teaches us something else too. It has to be learned, but it also tells us that it's not a personality trait. It's not a disposition. It's not a, hey, I'm just a grateful person and you weren't brought in that way. No, 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 no. He had to learn it. So, so it means that it's, it's a choice. It's not a disposition. He would even say it's a skill that he had to develop. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church, not any of these churches I planted, and I planted a lot of them, not one of these churches shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, of resourcing, of needing help and offering help. No one did this except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. It's interesting, we have church planters in the room, much like Paul, needed to be resourced. He says this, not that I desired your gifts. You say, I'm good. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm good. I'm good, and if you're thinking about dating anyone, before they sit down next to you, you need to tell them, before you ever came into the picture, I'm good. I've got what I need, Paul says. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus. Look, if you're looking for a baby name, maybe think about Epaphroditus. It means actually a handsome, like a handsome man, right? So Epaphroditus, that's just something to think about. I received from Epaphroditus. They sent Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus brought these resources to Paul. I've received him, and, and they, are, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, this pleasing, this worship from the Philippians, resourcing Paul, this, this praise offering to God that they gave. And this is what he says. He says, and my God, Paul, Paul, writing from a prison, a dimly lit little cell with a candle maybe, 
he says this, and my God will meet all your, all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How is it the man who needed to be resourced was turning around and saying how God is gonna resource them? How is he able to focus more on them than him? I think we'll see the answer in a few moments. But in this passage, in this segment, there are so many power-packed verses from Paul, like the, uh, of like maybe the top five quoted Paul verses. These, like the top two are in here. Here they are. Here's the first one. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is the, you know, like the bench press, like poster on the wall, this buff dude with like an eagle flying through the background. This is the verse for me when I was playing soccer in high school, like before the, they blow the whistle, I'd amp myself up. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They blow the whistle and I just like clobber the guy, right? I don't know if that's Jesus, what he had in mind right there. I don't know, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then here's another one. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Both of these powerhouse verses reside in this, this, this moment. Paul kind of gets done with his letter, and then he says, oh yeah, by the way, and he gives like a bunch of short little things, and, and it's almost like this, um, like, a, like a P.S., like a, like a postscript, like a, uh, I know I taught you all that, but here's what you need to know. I'm going to summarize it all out. In many ways, this was not a postscript. It was really, it was really a perspective shift. Paul would say, you need to think about things a little differently, and I've learned the secret of contentment. It involves this perspective shift, and if we're going to have enduring contentment, a joy that exists outside of our circumstances, we've got to have a perspective shift as well, and I want to submit to you four perspective shifts that you and I can walk through daily in our lives. And the first one is this, and listen, write it down and preach it to yourself and and maybe even preach it to your spouse because they can get grumpy sometimes too. All right, here's the first one. You ready? Contentment remembers to rejoice. Contentment remembers to rejoice. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Listen, remembering to rejoice is a deliberate decision in the face of exasperating circumstances. You know why? Because we are quick to forget. A couple weeks ago, I, had, I get hungry after dinner. I eat dinner, but then about an hour or two later, I just need like some junk food or something, right? So we ate dinner. It's not good. It's, it's not, I shouldn't do that, but it's what is. It's what, there's, what, there's what should be, and then there's what is. That's what is. I'm hungry. And, and so I'm looking for like, I'm opening the fridge, and I'm going, is there any food in here? Why is there no food in here? There's broccoli. I'm not going to eat broccoli. <laughs> no, on a broccoli stock at 7 o'clock at night. It's not going to happen. Where's the food? And I'm like looking through the, the pantry, and I'm looking in the fridge, and there's just nothing. And then I, f- I forgot. I forgot there was a half of a package of Oreos above the fridge, and I was like, ah, yes. Like, I'm so f- quick to forget that there's this blessing in my life. I'm so quick to forget and look in the fridge and say, man, oh, there's nothing. No, God has blessed me, and there's things that I need to remember. I need to remember I had forgotten the good thing that was in my life. And we are masters at forgetting the blessings in our lives while focusing only on the things that are missing. We are masters at that. 
Now, the worst thing that we can do, though, is not forgetting about the Oreos or losing our keys. The worst thing we can do is to forget about God's steadfast love and his favor and his blessings in our life. That not only has he taken everything that's in my rearview mirror that I don't want anyone to know, and he said, you're forgiven in Christ. Not only is that true, but he would say, you get the righteousness of Christ. And when I look at you, I credited you as being the righteousness of Jesus, as if it was Jesus himself. And I don't deserve that. We forget these things. I wonder if that's why Paul had to, just before this segment, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul, why did you have to say it again? Like, I know you just said it. Why'd you repeat it? Because we're, it's crazy how quick we forget. It's crazy how quick we forget these blessings, these things that we say, God, if only I had this, it'll be better when I have this child in my life. And then and we're praying and we couldn't get pregnant and then finally we got pregnant and you did this and this was miraculous and then now you're sitting there saying, man, why don't this kid just get his act together? And we, we asked for it and we prayed for it. And we forget the blessings that he had for us in the first place. We are so quick to forget That's why when we step into here, when the worship team gets up here and we say, hey, welcome, we want you to stand to your feet because you need to remember to rejoice. This is a day God has made. Don't forget his blessings. Will you join with me in praising and worshiping him because he is worthy of our praise because of what he's done for us on our behalf. Now listen, real maturity is not not having to be reminded to rejoice, not having to be prompted to rejoice, but it's doing it out of, because of the, the choice of your will. Real maturity, real contentment comes when no one has to remind you of it because when you do it intentionally, you remember to rejoice. And so, so Paul, Paul is writing these, these dear Philippians, this letter, and he's saying, hey, thanks, but I mean, okay, Paul's theology was awesome. It is the inspired word of God, but he's human, and he's not real great at writing thank you notes. All right, don't, don't take cues from, from Paul here, because listen to what he says. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you have re- renewed your concern for me. Like, imagine you got a birthday present, you know, and the person says, oh, at last you've gotten me what I want. Like, that's, okay, that's not a real great thank you note, right? He says, at last you renewed your concern for me. Listen, listen. Indeed, you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. You see what he did? There was a period of silence for Paul when those who should have been helping him, those Christians who owed him a lot, should have stepped in to meet his needs. He's in prison probably the only way he's being fed. The only way he's being clothed is when someone brings him something and he's reliant on that. And and in this space, there's this silence and he could have interpreted it in one of two ways. They don't care about me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. I, I loaned them money. They didn't even come and help me out. I helped them move. Why don't they help me move, right? You know, these little things we tell ourselves, these, these interpretations of the events, these assumptions we make. So let me ask you a question. How do you interpret the silence in your life? How do you interpret that? How do you interpret those times when you feel disappointed because someone didn't do what you wanted them to do when you wanted them to do it, the way you wanted them to do it? How do you interpret that silence? 
And that leads us to our second perspective shift, that commit, uh, c- uh, contentment doesn't dwell on disappointment. It refuses to resent. Contentment doesn't dwell on disappointment, but it refuses to resent. Now, I, I don't know whether Paul was in prison in Rome or if he was in Caesarea But I can tell you the prison that he refused to live in, and it was the prison of resentment. And there's no prison like the prison of resentment. It's all all bars, it's no windows. And when you lock yourself into a situation where where there's a disappointment, disappointment in your life, and listen, listen, I know you guys. That's the joy of being a pastor is I know many of your stories and the things that you're going through, and you have the option, how am I going to interpret this? How am I going to interpret the way that he treats me, the way that she treats me, the way this panned out in my life? And I know that you can resent your situation. You can resent your boss. You can resent your kids. I can't believe he did that to me. I can't believe she left me that way. And it can put you into a prison of your own design. And so Paul said, I choose to assume, Philippians, that you wanted to help me, that you wanted to help me, but you couldn't. See, that was a decision he made. It was intentional. It was deliberate. And that's a key to contentment. You don't resist and you don't refuse resentment. And if you don't resist and refuse resentment on every level, you're going to be locked inside this prison of your own design. And there's two ways you you can view it. You can you can live in resentment or you can live in contentment. Those are the two choices. You can say, it wasn't right that I didn't have this growing up or they weren't there for me. I could be further along in my life if that would have just happened, but that's this prison called resentment for us. Or you can be like, be like Joseph who would say, I don't know why you threw me in this pit, but here's what I know. God put me in this place so that I could deliver you and save your life here in this moment. It's refusing to spend another day resenting what they did to me, what they said to me, what I am, what I'm not, how it's supposed to be, how it ended up being. Paul would say this, look, I might be in a prison cell, but I'm going to refuse to be in the the prison cell of my own mind. And refusing resentment means you realize this, you recognize this, that what happens to you is outside of your control. You cannot control what happens to you. But your response is your responsibility. How you interpret it, how you attribute it, how you respond to those external things is your responsibility. I didn't choose to be abandoned. I didn't choose for her to cheat on me that way. I didn't choose to live a life with this diagnosis and always having to have migraines. But how I respond is my choice. And so I'm not going to be that slave living to bitterness, living living in, in, in resentment, these things that I can't even control. That's when you interpret what happens to you differently. Consider the power that refusing resentment actually accomplishes. This, this last week, I was driving one of my children to FCC, and so we got up in the morning, and we went by, and we got donuts, and we made our way through traffic and drove the 30 minutes into Frederick, and, and so I, I, I'm there, and I'm saying, I love you, child. I hope you have a great day. Do you have your phone? Yeah, I have my phone, and the child says, I forgot my backpack. 30 minutes we drove there, and he says, and it's final exams today in an open book test. 
oh, it started twisting in my stomach. I have to drive all the way back, then I have to come back again. That's an hour out of my day. Why would you so disrespect me and want me to chew up all my gas right now? Do you not regard me? Like, these are all the things I said in my mind because, you know, it's all about me. But then God said, Scott, you've got to refuse resentment. How many times have you left something behind and needed someone else to be kind to you and help you when you needed it? How many times were you in need and someone else rescued you and inconvenienced themselves? You know what that did when I said, wait a minute, I'm going to interpret this differently. I didn't mean to do that. They weren't trying to do something. It just happened. I'm going to interpret this differently. And you know what it did? It meant the rest of my day didn't spiral into a pit of self-despair and kind of self-loathing and like, oh, my day is horrible. No one loves me. I can't believe this happened. I had to spend an extra hour on the road. Don't, like we do this, don't we? (laughs) It happens. We, we We have to consider how we interpret something. It was a perspective shift. The third perspective shift is this, is that contentment appreciates all seasons. Contentment appreciates all seasons. There's a little technical nuance here with what Paul said. He said, uh, when he said, you renewed your concern for me, there's this depth of meaning inside that word there, renewed concern, and this is what it means in the original language. It means to cause your concern to bloom or to blossom again. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying there are seasons to life, and I made it through winter, but spring is here. Spring is here. Do you, do you see how important this is to discern the seasons in your life if you're going to take, if you're going to live in this state of contentment? Paul says, I know what it's like to be in need. I, I, I've had the pocket full of quarters, and I've had my, my, own, my own laundry room. I know what it's like. There are seasons in life. As a young pastor, I had to learn this. I still have to learn this. Like, there, there, there are times when even Jesus himself could get up and preach the most awesome sermon ever, and like, like people, like attendance would be down, right? And, and it's not because something is broken or not because something is wrong. It's because it's summertime. And we love you, pastor. You're wonderful. But you know what? We, we just got to go on vacation. We'll be back. There, there are seasons in life. Like, it's It's okay. Paul Paul could have seen the lack of presence of these people who should have been his closest ally, and he could have said, man, nobody loves me. I'll die alone. Nobody cares about me. But he knows, look, it's just a season. The sun sets early in the winter. Summer's around the corner. Solomon said it this way. He said, there are seasons for everything. There are seasons for waking. There are seasons for sleeping. There are seasons for resting. There are seasons for activity. There are seasons where you plant like crazy. And then there are seasons that you let the field lay fallow so that it can finally re-nourish itself so that it can actually bear fruit the next season around. There are seasons to life. I, I, I know how to have plenty, Paul would say. And I know how to be pruned I know there are going to be those seasons where I feel affirmed, where everything's working out great, and there are those seasons. It's like, God, are you out to get me right now? I remember those seasons in ministry where I was just just affirmed. Like, I was going through ordination, and everyone was nodding their head and clapping and saying, this is great. The kids were looking forward to me coming home every day. My wife thought I was sexy. There were no cats around. My dog pooped in the neighbor's yard. It was amazing. It was great. 
And I just enjoyed it for what it was. Because I knew that there was going to be another season around the corner where people aren't clapping for me. If anything, they're shaking their fist. My kids won't look at me as I come in the door, or my wife is distracted by other things, or my dog is pooping in my living room and looks at the cats and says, nah, they're not so bad. (laughs) I know there are those seasons when life is just going to be miserable, and it's going to be hard, and there are those seasons where the affirmation and the consolation of the Holy Spirit is there. What do you do with that? You say, God, right now, I'm on the mountaintop. I'm grateful for this season. And you're carrying me along. And I'm going to appreciate it. And I'm going to enjoy it. Because I know before long, something's going to happen. And I'm going to be in the valley. And when I get in that valley, I'm going to say, it's okay. Because I know that you're going to pick me up out of the valley. And you're going to carry me through. And it's just a season. It's not forever. It's just a moment. It's just right now. We have to learn to appreciate the seasons. There's a, there's a great mental and spiritual danger to assigning an eternity to a season. When, when you have a baby and you're not sleeping through the night and you think it's going to be like this forever, we're never going to get to sleep, it's not true. They're going to grow and things are going to get different. And then they, then they enter sixth grade And we learned a phrase. We learned a phrase in sixth grade. It's a hard age. You know, when they spend the entire day speaking in pig Latin and walk walk everywhere they walk, they go. (laughs) We just got used to saying, it's a hard age. But we know that seventh grade is on the way. Don't be looking at any of my kids. It's all of them were that way. (laughs) All of them were that way. Seventh grade is on its way. And I don't want to miss when I couldn't sleep through the night. I don't want to miss that feeling of holding them close. I don't want to miss them being in sixth grade and just smiling at them and laughing at them. I don't want to miss it. You got to appreciate the seasons, and there's a spiritual danger in thinking that what I'm in right now is what's going to be forever because it's not. Paul knew that. Paul knew that. Paul saw that there was a season where they would affirm him, and he said, I'm going to be content when they're with me, and I'm going to be content when they're not with me. And here's how. Buckle up. Here's how. Because he, and this is the fourth, this is the fourth secret. This is the fourth, the fourth key to contentment. Because Paul had a secret stash. That's how he was able to be content in every situation. He had a secret stash. Paul says this. He says, I got your gift. Finally, (laughs) it's about time, right? Again, he's a terrible thank you note writer. He says, I know you wanted to do it, but but you didn't have the chance. I knew something was was keeping you from it. And I chose to believe the best in you. And here's why. And here's why. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. (laughs) He's the thank you note keeps getting better. Hey, I know it took a while, but I didn't really need it. <laughs> he's a terrible thank you note writer. Don't, don't take cues from him. But I think what he's saying is this. He's saying, I have my own source. I have a source, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what you've done for me, but I have my own source. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for appreciating me, 
but I'm good. I don't need it. I'm going to serve anyway. Thank you you for coming alongside me and helping me, but I'm going to worship as I work anyway because I've I've got a different source. Look, the best thing that you can do the best thing that you can do, if someone invites you over to their house and you're not aware of their culinary abilities, you know what you do? You pre-eat. You show, and you just like you eat something at home because you don't know if they're going to be good or not, but that way, no matter what comes up against you, you can say, I'm good, it's all right, thank you for what you've done, but I'm good, I've got a source already. I've got a source. So listen, before you come to church, You pray up before you get here. You worship up before you get here. You spend time in God's word so that no matter who's preaching or how good or how bad it is, you can say, you know what, I'm good. I've already feasted up. I'm already already good uh, with God's providence and and his insight into my life. Paul says, I'm good. I'm good. I've got a different source. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not from me, but it's in me. I used to read that verse, and I would think that's going to be for those times where I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to accomplish that thing, and look at how strong I feel. Paul would say, no, 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 no. I can do all things through Christ. He was writing in the place of suffering and pain and in prison. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. For a Christian... There's a source of strength that is outside of ourselves. We are not saying, dig deep, believe in yourself, you can accomplish it, you can be anything you want to be. We are not saying that. What we are saying is there is a source outside of ourself that empowers and informs how I process difficulty and blessing in my life. So here's what that means. It's God, and it's, it's rooted in his character, his power, his authority, what he says about me, what he says about himself. So it would be this. We would say, in him, I am forgiven. So guess what that means? It means I can choose to not resent myself for what I've done in the past. I can choose to forgive myself if God can forgive me. See, I've got something outside of myself that informs how I experience and how I go through something. We would say, in him, my future is secure, so I don't have to work for his favor, but I can simply love him and worship him and adore him and delight in him. In him, I am am fully loved. So even when my wife or my spouse, I can't even, like, I can't get a date. They don't even care about me, right? Even when my, my kids think I'm the worst, I'm not going to define myself by how someone else thinks about me because I know that he is fond of me when he looks at me. In him, it means that I can endure physical pain and this condition I have to go through that he's going to give me the grace I need every single day in day-sized chunks and I'm going to be able to press on, and he's going to sustain me through it. In him, I, cannot, I can let those backhanded comments from my mom slide off my back because I'm not defined by how she thinks of me because I have been given the righteousness of Christ. There is a source, and his name is God, and he is here to inform how you see yourself and how you see your circumstances. God is my source. Say that back. God is my source. Say that back. God is my source. Let me ask you a few questions as we pivot here. <clears throat> what are the seasons that you're in the middle of that you need to learn to appreciate? What are those things that maybe you wish away and you're going to look back and say, I wish I hadn't wished it away? 
because there may be blessings buried for you when you see that this season is not going to last forever, so I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. Question number two, where do you need to refuse resentment when you're experiencing disappointment? Let me ask it this way, maybe a little differently. Who do you need to refuse to resent? Who do you need to say, I'm not going to let them have a bigger piece of my heart. I'm going to refuse to resent them. Listen, listen. Disappointment is natural. And there is a difference between being content with your situation and being content in your situation. You don't have to be content with the situation, but you can be content no matter what the situation is. You can be real about your disappointment. It needs to be embraced, but your response is your responsibility. And maybe this weekend, you need to start in prayer by saying this, God, I do not want to be defined by the resentment I'm carrying towards this person or situation. God, empower me to release. Let it go. I'm not going to be defined by that anymore. I'm not going to resent that part of my past. I'm not going to resent that person. I'm not going to give them a piece of my heart. I refuse. I refuse. God, would you give me freedom from that? Question number three, where is God calling you to do all things in his strength? What is the thought process that needs to be rethought, needs to be recalculated? What, what do you need to call him into to reprogram how you think so that he can inform how you pr- uh, process yourself and your situation? Because God is my source, listen, because God is my source, I dare not confuse the supply with the source. And too many of us confuse that. That somehow the supply, the job, the car, the spouse, the kid, the whatever, that that's gonna be the foundation that holds us through the storm. But listen, we cannot confuse the supply with the source. And God is our source. And because of that, I can be blessed no matter what the circumstances. I'm not going to be defined by them, but I'm going to remember to rejoice. I'm going to appreciate all seasons. I'm going to refuse to resent. And I'm going to remember my secret stash, that God is my source. This weekend, I want to pray for you, and I also want to provide a chance for you to choose for you to choose joy, to remember to rejoice. I also want to recognize that this road is not easy and it's not linear. And if that you're in that space where you're struggling to find contentment and you just say, I do not want to be defined by that, I want freedom from that, you come find me, you can find your life group leader, you can find one of our elders. And we'd love to pray over you and with you for that. But what I want to do is I want to ask the worship team to come up and then we're going to worship with one more song here together, all right? Just declaring some of these things that we're considering and just to create space for you to to do business with God. Maybe there's some things that he's spoken to you. Will you use this time to go to him about it? Let's pray together. God, your word has rebuked me this week. I've uh, benefited from it, and I'm grateful for it. God, there are, there are legit burdens in this room, and even folks that maybe not be in this room right now, and legit circumstances that they would rather be out of. We do, in the name of Jesus, ask for deliverance from those circumstances, but more than that, for perseverance in the middle of those challenges to maybe not be content with, but to be content in those times. God, help us to remember to rejoice in you. You are our source. You are steadfast. You are with us in the storm. God, you come near those who call upon you. You see our tears. You bottle them up, precious 
in your eyes are our tears. God, we can come to you. God, help us to anchor on that and not our circumstances, and that would empower us to refuse to resent and to choose joy in these circumstances. We love you, Christ. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.